Welcome to the Evangel Temple Youth Ministries Podcast. You're about to listen to another message from Pastor Isaac Worley. We pray that this message would be instrumental in God speaking to you and drawing you closer to Him. Now, here's today's sermon. Well, we're in the book of Philippians, and we're going through it verse by verse. And uh, who all has a journal? Hopefully a few people have a journal, just forgot it. <laughs> she whispered after she raised her hands, I was like, yeah, you forgot it. So, um, Who would take notes if you actually had one? Would you actually take notes? I saw Josh's hand. Josh, promise you're going to take, take notes here? Here you go, bro. Um, I really want you guys, it's, it's valuable to really read God's word and work through it. And I think um, scripture journals are incredible ways to do that. So we are going verse by verse through the book of Philippians, and we are wrapping up chapter one tonight. And uh, yeah, yeah is right. Uh, let me read the passage, and then we're just going to dissect it, okay? Uh, so have your Bibles open, have your scripture journal open, but you're also going to be able to follow everything on the screen. And I, the text has kind of shrunk this week because I wanted all of it on one slide to where we can really mark it up. And you guys don't have to figure out where we're at. It's all one big slide. So let's read it. Uh, it says, verse 27 Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. That's not a hard ask at all, right, to start off. Let your life or your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Starting off heavy. So that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents." This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. So... I want to kind of illustrate a little bit of what I think this text is kind of telling us if we just look at one big chunk of uh, what is the main point here. And um, so a sports analogy, I know I don't normally give them, I'm, not, I'm like the last guy on the planet that should give a sports analogy, but here you go, youth pastoring right now, I want to give you a sports analogy. Um, I was on a team that, I've been on a lot of bad soccer teams before, and uh, this one was actually a good soccer team that I was a part of, and we were, we were doing really well. There were a few key individuals that we all were always like, get the ball to uh, Enrique. That was like our guy that was like, get the ball to Enrique. And uh, seriously, uh, he was incredible. And so uh, we, we, we would always pass it to him. And it was like, I swear, you could, he would like have the ball glued to his foot and he could just like dance around people, get to the, uh, and, and just score. And so, but I remember like we were, we were on the same team for a few seasons and uh, one of the seasons, we all come back, right? So everyone knows, every, you know, who's who and all this stuff. Well, the, past, uh, the pastor, the, uh, the coach, um, I'm the coach, you guys are my players, okay? So, <laughs> so the coach gathers us together, Jeremy, and, uh, and um, he starts off just right off the bat, hey, I want to lay the ground rules for this season. Like, serious face. And he's like, this is a team. Yes. This is a team, profound. And he says, we're going to play like a team. Because he knew, like we knew, there were star players, 
key individuals that if they could, they could just play, you know, one against 11. And uh, he says, we're a team. We're going to play like a team. Even though there's those star athletes, we're not going to play that way. And I remember one, one, uh, one game, we were winning, Enrique scoring like crazy. And, uh, but he was like, you know, we're like, pass it here, pass it here. And he, and he would just look up look back down and just keep going. I didn't take it personally, but I was really wrestling to. Um, and we got to halftime, and we, we get together, and the coach is like mad, and we're winning. And he says, and he's like calling out Enrique, uh, and he's like, I was expecting us to play like a team. What was that? He's like, well, that was us. that's us winning. And he goes, no, I want us to be a team. Because he cared more about unity and cared more about our team as a whole than any key individual by themselves. And so unity in itself takes a lot of the time uh, selflessness, to care more for the team than yourself. Unity, if you want unity in the whole, if we want unity, we have to be willing to lay down ourselves at times for the betterment of everybody, right? Unity takes selflessness. Well, I think Paul's talking a lot about that here. And uh, honestly, the key like, main point, if you will, of this paragraph, I think, is the very beginning. Verse 27, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. So that, and then everything else follows, but that's the thing that Paul is commanding. That's what Paul wants, is let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel, so that, dot, dot, dot. Do that. That's what I want. And what, did, what does he mean here, though? To let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel. Well, I think in context, we have to understand it to be selflessness for the sake of everybody else. If you want to live in a way that is worthy of being a part of Jesus Christ, be selfless for other people's sake. The, the, the passage that we uh, uh, listened to last week from Abby was uh, Paul saying, I'm doing this. I'm demonstrating this for you guys. I mean, he even said, right, that I'm willing to uh, stay in prison, suffer in prison for the rest of my life, and even die in prison if that means your all's betterment, that your guys uh, being able to benefit from it. He says, as long as Christ is proclaimed, I rejoice. You, you can do anything to me. I, I don't care if I die. I don't care if I stay in prison the rest of my life. I will rejoice because he was selfless for the sake of the whole, the gospel the church. And so then he leads from that right into this, and he says, now you. He flips the tables. He was talking on himself. Now he says, it's your all's turn. Let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. And the gospel of Jesus Christ is the standard, right? I mean, it's the defining action that shows selflessness for the sake of other people's benefit, right? That Jesus would die for us. Selflessness for the sake of unity. That's what, that's what he's challenging us here. The gospel of Jesus Christ really shows that perfectly. It shows us that we need to be living selfless, selflessly unified lives. And um, so just like the coach that I had, Coach Jeremy, just like him saying, if you want to be on this team, you have to be a team player. I think if we want to be a part of the church, the body of Jesus Christ, we, we need to be uh, living in selfless unity. If you want to be a part of Jesus' family, the body of Christ, you must live in selfless unity. 
You have to be in line with him. You live a life that's worthy in the manner of Jesus Christ. And, but whenever we say that, right, I mean, will, being willing to lay down your life for other people's benefit, being able to say that I care more for us and our relationship together, and I care more for the benefit of you than I care for me, there's a few questions that kind of have to follow, right? Two of them specifically. First one is, what does this selfless unity look like? Like if I am being selfless for the sake of mine and Jackson's unity, what does that look like? How can I be selfless for his and I's relationship to work? How can I lay down my life for Jackson and vice versa? What does selfless unity look like? I think Paul talks about that in this passage. The second question is, how do we start living in selfless unity? How does this ball get rolling? How does it start happening? How can we make selfless unity a part of our daily lives in the body of Christ? I think Paul talks about that. How does selfless unity happen? So I want to tackle each one of these questions, uh, and I, I want to look at the first one because it actually happens first in the text. What should our selfless unity look like? How can it be shown exteriorly, exteriorly, externally? Uh, there we go. <laughs> what does it look like? What does selfless unity look like in our lives? Let's go to the text. It says, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. So make sure that you guys are living selflessly. Be like Paul, who's willing to say, I lay down my life, and I'll stay in prison, and I'll suffer, and I'll get tortured, and I'll be murdered, as long as the gospel is being proclaimed, and you guys are being enriched because of it. Be selfless, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I will hear, you, hear of you that, so this is what it's going to look like. I want you to be selfless, so that whether I come to you and I see it, or I'm not there with you, and I hear about it, so that, this is what it looks like. One, you're standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, okay? So it starts off with saying, if you want to be selflessly unified, stand firm in one spirit together with one mind, striving side by side. The second thing, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. So, have one mind, one spirit, and together don't be worried about your opponents. When somebody comes to mess with you for your faith or your brother or sister in Christ, you guys are of one mind and you're not worried about anybody coming, opposition coming to maybe make fun of you or, or whatever for your faith. Let me give you kind of an analogy so you understand this, right? Okay, everyone, any like show of hands here, a little crowd participation. Have you ever played the game Red Rover? Yes, we're getting super spiritual here, if you're wondering. Yes, we are getting very deep in theology right now. Yes, Red Rover, yes. This is spiritual Red Rover that Paul is talking about. It's clear uh, textbook theology 101, spiritual Red Rover. He's saying, if you want to be selflessly unified, if you guys want to be the body of Christ, demonstrating Christ, being selfless for the sake of one another, here's what you got to do. Be of one mind, linking arms, and because you're linked arms, because you guys are together and unified and stronger as a whole, you don't care who comes trying to run through and break through the arms. See what I did there? Spiritual unity. Spiritual Red Rover. That's what it looks like. That's what he's saying. If you, uh, he says, let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. So selfless for the sake of the body. 
What does it look like? Well, stand firm together in one spirit. And in doing so, you won't be frightened of anything that comes your way. This is what it looks like. So here's the question, right? Spiritual Red Rover, you're all linked arms. You're one big line. Christians, Christianity, one line of us all the way down. The question is, how do you know who it is, who's on the chain with you that you should be linking arms with? How do you know who Paul is telling you to be unified in one mind with? How do you know who's on your team for Red River? Well, I think one, you can, you can just say if they believe and then fill in the blank. There's essential aspects that, that are required or necessary to say I am in the body of Christ. I am a Christian. There are key aspects, necessary things, and I'll, I'll name them off, okay? This is what makes you a part of that Red Rover team, spiritual Red Rover, Christianity side. If you believe that you are in need of a Savior, you realize your sin in you, and you need a Savior. If you don't realize that you need a Savior, if you don't realize your sin and that's a problem in your life, you certainly don't believe that someone is saving you from that sin because you don't even believe in the sin in the first place, right? So you have to, first of all, believe that you are a sinner in need of a a savior. Scripture says that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just, and what, what is it, how does it finish? He will forgive us our sins. If we confess our sins, we must know that we are sinners in need of a savior. That is necessary to be on the team in linking arms. Second, Jesus is God, man. Yes. Jesus is God-man. Seriously. Jesus is the God-man. You have to believe that Jesus is truly God and truly man. It says that that, um, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus, a man, is is Lord. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is, is Lord. So you have to believe that Jesus is truly God and that he died for your sins. He came, lived a life, and died on the cross. Because the sentence finishes, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So you have to believe that you're a sinner in need of salvation. You need a savior because you are a sinner. And then you have to believe that Jesus Christ is truly God who came down on earth and died on a cross, took our punishment, God raised him from the dead, conquering death and the penalty that comes with our sin. And we have to believe that salvation is God doing uh, the saving. Ephesians 2.8 says, For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. Now, this is a gift from God. And so you're a sinner in need of a savior. Jesus died on a cross for your sins, the punishment that you deserved. God raised him from the dead, conquering that penalty, and that you would put your faith in him. If anybody would say, no, I'm, I'm actually not, the, not that fourth one, I'm not for that, or no, not the second one, but the other ones, yeah. That's a problem in truly trusting in the gospel, right? And so we would need to have those essentials if you're on the, the line of spiritual red river, if you're, staying, if you're standing with me, that analogy. Here's the the rub, though. Here's the part that really we might cringe because of. If somebody has all of those, they know that they're a sinner. They need a Savior. They trust in Jesus Christ. 
God became man. He died on the cross for their sins. They have their faith in all of that. You have to embrace that they're on the line with you. Regardless of any other secondary disagreements. And that's the hard part. Because a lot of us are like, ooh, you're mean. I don't like you. But they trust in Jesus for their salvation. They believe the gospel. They know that they're a sinner. They realize that they're not perfect. All those secondary issues we have to realize as secondary issues. And we can't let them divide us. We can't link arms with people because of secondary disagreement. Say, we're, you can run right through us. We're separated. We're divided. That is not the body of Christ. We must stand side by side with those we disagree with on secondary issues. We have to. The essentials, keep them. That's what links us together. That's the glue. But anything past those essentials, you can disagree and you say you are my brother or sister in Christ and I love you and we are partners for the gospel throughout the rest of the world. We are partners, though we disagree on everything else maybe. Everything else except for Jesus as king. You and I are partners forever. Difficulty is, is this gets really personal, right? Uh, and it has maybe for a lot of people, if you've been watching like all the social media and the news and everything. Uh, you guys heard about the whole John MacArthur thing? John MacArthur said, that's, who? <laughs> said, no, you haven't. Uh, so John MacArthur is um, uh, an American pastor who doesn't believe that women should be pastors. They believe, he believes that, that this is a position biblically held for, for men. That, was, that would be his position. He would say that the Bible really says that, and he wants to hold to that conviction. So he said something um, about a woman and uh, a preacher, and it blew up. Man, it blew up on social media. So everyone's talking about, not everybody, he's talking about John MacArthur. And a lot of Christians are saying a lot of things about John MacArthur. A lot of things that I think are out of line if we believe that we should be linking arms with people regardless of the secondary disagreements. Maybe you've heard about the Kanye West thing. Have you guys heard about Kanye, Kanye West? Yeah. So Kanye West uh, came out uh, saying that he, he, started, he said, I, I, I'm a Christian. I profess Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. Now a lot of people are like, I don't know if we should really accept this. This guy said that he was uh, God before. And he did. He said, he was, he, he, he said that he was God of culture. So what do we do with these guys? What do, we, what do we do with people that we heavily disagree with like MacArthur? Many of you guys might disagree with MacArthur on that the Bible would say that or not. What do we do with Kanye that has a crazy history track record, but now he says he's a Christian? We have to look at, do they affirm that they're a sinner in need of a savior? Do they believe that Jesus Christ is truly God and he died for their sins and that they put their faith in him? If so, we must link arms with them and say, I am your partner, John MacArthur. I am your partner. We might disagree. I am your partner for the gospel. Let's take on the rest of the world and Maybe opponents might come to us, but you don't have to be frightened because you have me and I won't be frightened because I have you because we are linking arms. We're not breaking arms. That's what we do with John MacArthur because he is a Christian. He's a brother 
that we should love. Kanye West, if he truly does, yes, he should probably be um, held accountable just like any one of us should be. Are you truly letting what you're saying internally, this transformation internally, is it truly being shown in external living? Yes, he should be held to that uh, growth just like any one of us should be. Not expected to live a perfect life. I promise you Kanye West is going to mess up and it's going to come out huge in public that he made some sin mistake. Be thankful that you're not under the speculation like Kanye West does because we all commit sin. And if you were in Kanye's shoes, I'm sure that people would be saying, yeah, see, I told you they're not Christians, they just sinned. If they profess that Jesus is Lord, they put their faith in him, they believe that he died on the cross for their sins, we have no reason to believe that they are not Christians. So yes, you can disagree with MacArthur. Yes, you should hold Kanye accountable to uh, this growth in Jesus Christ that this transformation internally is actually showing externally. Yes to all of those things. Yes, you can say MacArthur is wrong. Yes, you can say MacArthur is right. But yes, you should say before either one of those, yes, MacArthur is my brother in Christ that I love. Now let me tell you if I agree with him on the women in ministry thing or not. You have to start with that. Start with the heart position that you love John MacArthur as a brother in Christ that you are linking arms with and saying you are a partner in the gospel with me. Now we can talk about if we agree or not on the women in ministry thing. It's necessary. That's what Paul is talking about. Let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, the one who sacrificed himself for the sake of other people that did horrible things. We should also be selfless for the sake of our unity, linking arms, not frightened by anything uh, that our opponents might bring to us. We must treat them like they are in the family of Christ because we have every reason to believe that they are. And let me show you here, this selfless unity that we have, whenever we, though we disagree with somebody, we say, would say, I am still linking arms with you, I still love you, we're still brothers and sisters in Christ, though we disagree, I'm your partner in this life. I'm your partner. Look at what this, look at what this does when the world sees us selflessly love like that, our brothers and sisters. It says, one second, there we go. This is a clear sign of to them, that is, non-believers, of their destruction, but of your salvation. This is what distinguishes us from the rest of the world. It shows the rest of the world that we are willing to set aside our secondary issues and love each other first. This is a clear sign. This is what distinguishes us from the rest of the world. Because the rest of the world would say, I disagree with you on that. You offended me. You upset me. We're done. But we'll say, no, you're a brother. I love you. And I just disagree with you. It distinguishes us from the world. It shows them it's a clear sign of our salvation, our differentiation between us and them. We have to see secondary issues as secondary issues. Paul talks about this in Romans 14. Uh, he actually talks about it as like food laws. So back then, we don't, we don't really have that debate anymore, okay? Um, but he was like talking about like, should you eat this? Uh, because religious purposes, you shouldn't eat this or you should or whatever. Uh, and there was this debate like, no, you should only eat vegetables like Daniel or no, I can eat anything I want. I've been set free in Christ. And there's this crazy debate. And Paul addresses it in Romans 14. Let me go back to it. This is what he says in verse two or three, two and three. One person believes he may eat anything while the weak person eats only vegetables, okay? Two people. One person says, I can eat anything. The other person says, no, we should only eat vegetables for religious reasons. Verse three, it says, let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains. 
And let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. One person says women should preach in the church. One person says they shouldn't. We shouldn't pass judgment on the one that does, and we shouldn't hate the one that doesn't. It's a secondary issue from the gospel. Not an unimportant. Don't don't hear that I'm saying it's not an unimportant issue. It should be an issue that should be talked about and debated. Absolutely, it's an important issue. I know it has direct links to uh, if women feel affirmed, that they have their dignity is recognized, their value is held up. I understand that this debate is deeply emotional. So don't hear me say that it's unimportant. I'm not. It's so important. We must have these discussions. Hear me though. It's secondary to the gospel of Jesus Christ that unifies us. It's secondary to that. It is. Same with what you should eat or not. So let's keep going. It's a clear sign that we're able to disagree and still link arms and say we love each other and we're partners, right? It's a clear sign that we are Christians. We are distinguished from those who are going to um, face destruction and our salvation. It separates us from them and they're like, wow, there's something special about them. Second question, how do we start living in selfless unity? How can maybe some people in this room say, John MacArthur is my partner in Jesus Christ? That's hard. I I understand that that is difficult. That might sound like rocks, you know, just like scratching up against each other, like nails on a chalkboard. You're like, I can't do it. How do you start living in selfless unity to set aside your opinions, your thoughts, your convictions, and say, I'm unified, I'm linking arms with these people that I disagree with? How does it happen? And short answer is, guys, it's only by God's power. It's only by God's divine strength inside you, empowering you to be able to link arms with people that maybe offend you or hurt your feelings. It's only by God's strength, honestly. Let me show you. This passage even shows it. It says in verse 29, right? So we just read, this is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. Now verse 29, for it has been granted to you. God grants us that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but you should also suffer for his sake. So let me, let me give you a recap, okay? What is Paul saying here? Well, one, he's saying that we, should, um, we need to have a unified spirit and stand together when people oppose us. We need to link arms. That's what he's saying. Have a unified spirit and stand together when people oppose you. Because, why do we do that? Because it shows the world that there's something special about us. Okay, that's what he said so far. Have a unified spirit Stand together against opposition, and when you do that, it shows the world that there's something different about us. And now Paul is saying, oh, and let me tell you, God will make this happen. God will grant you the ability to do this. He says, for he will grant you for the sake of Christ that you should not only believe. So this one spirit that unifies us, it's the belief in Jesus Christ. We are unified. We are linked arms with John MacArthur and Kanye and everybody else. By our belief in Jesus Christ, that is our one spirit that is unifying us. And not only will he give us the unifying spirit that is called belief, not only will he grant us belief that unifies us, each one of us that believes, but he will grant us the opportunities to suffer together. 
Wow, thanks, God. Thanks, God. Not only do you give me belief, but you give me the ability to suffer for your... You shouldn't have. Oh, you're a sweetheart. Too much. It's too much. It's like Christmas morning all over again. All so that we would have the chance to show the bonding power of the gospel. For whenever opposition comes, when suffering comes, our unity with those we disagree with, our unity with them, them comforting us and us comforting them and us being together in that opposition, our time of suffering when Jesus gives us the opportunity to suffer, our unity together and building each other up shows the world that there is power in the gospel. And it transforms people, transforms community. I want to, I want to just mention something real quick. Um, I need, we need to take a look at it because it's just something that, that people don't always look at don't really always consider, but it says that God grants his people a unifying spirit of belief. That isn't always looked at. God grants us belief. Because a lot of times people would say that that's, uh, that's on us. That's, that's our responsibility. But the text is saying God grants you or me or this person or that person. God would grant us belief in him. And that's, that's something that's not always talked about or considered. What's that mean? Let me show you some passages in John chapter 6, and I can't read them all, but just read the whole chapter. It's absolutely incredible. John chapter 6, but let me start reading a little bit, four verses in particular, uh, that really show this idea of God granting us belief. It says in verse 29, Jesus answered them. So he's talking to some people. It's a long thing of Jesus talking. This is the work of God that you believe in him whom he has sent. So your belief in Jesus Christ, who God has sent, that is the work of God. Verse 44, it says, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws that person. So he grants them the ability to come in. And I will raise him up on the last day. Now let me read verses 63 through 65. It says, it is the Spirit who gives life. The Spirit gives us the life that comes in belief. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life, but there are some of you who do not believe. Get that. There are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who, would, who would, uh, did not believe and who, was, who would betray him. And he said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted to him by the Father. He knew people wouldn't believe, and he said, this is why I told you. No one can come to me unless it is granted to him by the Father. So when we go to the text, we see that God grants us the ability to believe and the ability to suffer together. So we're unified together and we suffer together so that we could show the world the bonding power of Jesus Christ. So let me get, give you a few application points and let's, uh, let's spend some time in prayer and talking through this. But first, I want us to get back to this main point. To be in the Christian family, you must live in selfless unity. It's so important. You must be in unity and willing to set aside your opinions for the sake of the unity so that other people in the world would see that. And what this looks like is setting down, setting aside secondary differences. Maybe your beliefs on women in ministry. Maybe your beliefs on uh, whether or not people speak in tongues today. It's a secondary issue to the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
whether or not you believe a certain style of music should be worshipped to, traditional, contemporary, it's a secondary issue. Man, that's like a third or fourth level issue. Set it aside for the unity of the, of the believers. If pacifism is true or not, if war should be happening or not, there are Christians that believe they're on both sides. It shouldn't be happening or it should be happening. That is a secondary issue. Be unified in the gospel of Jesus Christ that links us together and say, I disagree with you and I love you as a brother. And the only way that we can do this is God's power in us. Only God can unify us. Only God can give us the empowerment to say, you've hurt me and your beliefs hurt me, but I love you. Only God can do that in us. Amen? That's hard. Let's, uh, let's stand up. Let's spread out. This went a little long, but it's a hard teaching. Uh, so you can spread out wherever you want. I'm going to give you two things specifically that you could pray for tonight. If you're wrestling through this and you're really thinking, what in the world do I do with this? Here's two things that you could really pray for. One, maybe you need to pray for selfless, a selfless spirit to care for more the unity of other people than your own opinions and beliefs. Pray for a selfless spirit. It's more concerned about the unity of the whole than your own personal opinion. Pray for a selfless spirit. Or to seek loving other people in the church you struggle to like. You might dislike them, but that you would pray that God would give you the ability to love them. Maybe that's something you could pray for. And so um, I'm going to lead you in that. You can do wherever, you know, pray over whatever you need to. Uh, so we can start the music and let's, let's spend some time with God wrestling through this, this hard reality. We hope you enjoyed the sermon. If you want to find out more about our youth ministry or any other ministry here at Evangel Temple, you can visit our website at etchurch.org. Thanks for listening and we hope to see you soon.